This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got a ton of stuff from the wrestling world, from any of the major sporting leagues, old comic books, new comic books, you name it, they got it. Best thing is they ship worldwide, even better, they update daily. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Metal Gear Solid, NBA Jam, GoldenEye 007, and so many others. Everything you see on their website is available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts, travel mugs, phone cases, anything you need or want, it is there. But the most important thing, the freest thing, the best thing you can do to support the show is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is an actor, writer, editor, TV personality, author, and a critic, award-winning producer, Uncle Creepy Steve Barton. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for being here, my friend. Now... You are, the, you are the second Uncle Creepy I've had on the show. I've had UFC fighter Ian McCall on the show. So you are now the second Uncle Creepy. Like, am I just trying to find all the Uncle Creepies out there? I, I think that's a really dubious distinction you've made there, buddy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like the name actually came from it. when I was growing up in the 70s. There was this comic book called Creepy. Okay. And Uncle Creepy was like its crypt keeper of sorts, like from Tales from the Crypt. Oh, okay. So, you know, I, I really dug that name and I love that comic book and it was, you know, a big part of my formative years. So when I started writing, I took that pen name and little did I know it would stick with me for a very long time. And had I have known the connotations it may bring along with it, right. I might have been a little bit more selective, but, you know, it, it is what it is. 
And a funny story too, when sure. when Twitter was just getting started, yeah. And uh, Ian McCall first got on Twitter. Okay. His wife would message me thinking I was him. Oh no! And I, I would be like, "Listen, lady, I I am not this dude." And then she was like, "Well, you should just give him the name." And I'm like, "I'm not giving anyone the name, right?" right? And, and now, like, I'm in this Twitter dispute with somebody <laughs> with, an, with a UFC fighter over the name Uncle Creepy, and I'm like, "Dude, I, I don't hilarious. know what to tell you, but it's not going anywhere." You know, <laughs> that is Uncle hilarious. Creepy. Oh my god, but but it's true. Like, if you would have known, because obviously in today's day and age, a connotation like Uncle Creepy, it's not going to be accepted by a lot of people. Obviously, right? People don't get it and whatever, but. Hey, you know what? If you've always been that person, then that's who you are. Like, like you know what I mean? And like I said, it's just a name. It's just something that is like got stuck to you, and there it is. And it, like you said, it has more to do with the horror genre, right? It, it, it's brought me a lot of really good things. Oh, there you go. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, you know? I mean, everything that ever happened to me happened for a reason, and I believe that. And I chose that name because it was kitschy and it was an homage to sure. my former years and you know it, it stuck and you know it it makes for a good conversation piece i guess yeah no exactly and l- like you know what i mean like r- right off the top i named all kinds of hats that you've worn that you've worked in in the horror genre and now you also are a historian and a paranormal historian like a horror historian and paranormal historian now, yeah, I, what what does that that even mean? Like that's so broad. Like, do you work uh, at a museum? Like, I <laughs> for about four years, I paranormal invest. I investigated the paranormal professional. Oh shit! Okay. Uh, because which is a really fancy way of me saying I'm a forty year old man running around in the dark looking for ghosts with a light because adult, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, uh, yeah, man, I, I did that for a while. I, I'm very familiar with just about every single haunting case that's ever been from wow. popular to be obscure. Right. And same thing with horror movies, man. I mean, I don't know why I know the stuff that I know. You know, you can ask me what 16 times 5 is, and I'll, <laughs> I'll have to count on my hands and toes, but sure. you could ask me. Where was Friday the Thirteenth Part Two filmed? And I'll tell you, Kent, Connecticut. And I don't even know why I know that. You know, that's crazy. So it's just it's a part of who I am. You know, the horror genre is a very personal genre to people, myself included. You know, and it 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 embodies who I am in a lot of ways. You know, there is no faking this. You know, it's there's a certain air of authenticity when you can run into a horror fan and. Even if you're just at the store and you see somebody wearing an Evil Dead T-shirt, you you do the nod to each other and you both <laughs> know. You know what I mean? It's a of course it's a very cool thing. It's a very incredible fan base, and I'm happy to both represent it and be a part of it. No, that's so awesome. And I want to get into horror movies, of course. But before we even go there, back to this paranormal thing, because okay, first off, I'm not a huge paranormal fan of like movies. I'm old school. Like again. Watch the 80s hack and slash, all that gory stuff, like you know, comedy sprinkled in, like that's my forte. But paranormal stuff, psychological, not so much either. But now, okay, in your findings and explorations of the paranormal, now I gotta know, is there actual evidence that paranormal activity is real? There that's a really good question. And 
I would say there is. And the only reason why I would say that is because you can't just... When something is paranormal, essentially it means it's unexplained. Right. It's unexplainable. As an investigator, you can't go into a situation and automatically assume everything is a ghost. Sure. Right, ghost, you know? No, your job as an investigator is to figure out what it could be and prove that it's not. You know, you have to right. go in from a, from a skeptic's perspective or else you're not doing your job. You already made you've already made up your mind, you know? That's true. So, it, it's 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 a very interesting field. I did it because it, it both fascinated and I, I I liked helping people. Okay. You know? Sure. And um it, it, it's and plus one of my good friends was a guy named Lou Gentili, and Lou Gentili did. He was one of the best paranormal investigators I've ever seen. I mean, this guy was the real deal, and he trained me. Okay. okay. You know, he he trained me to not have to rely on like instruments or things like the spirit box or or uh, EMF meters. Your your most sensitive part of your body, your biggest tool, man, that sounds funny. Uh, <laughs> your, your most valuable weapon in any situation or, or valuable tool in any situation right. is your body and what you sense. And, you know, mm. when you walk into a place that's quote unquote haunted, right. Um, it, it could be a million different things, but there is a particular feeling like a different kind of energy in the air and the only way to really describe it is to like you're walking through water, you know, oh, okay. but you're just underwater and right. it's like everything feels heavier. And and that is something I that Lou taught me to key into. And I've always used that, you know, and uh, it, it's great. It's been a really interesting ride. And I did that for as long as I could, you know, take it and. I, I pretty much found the answers I was looking for. Oh, okay, that's cool. Once, once there was no more answers for me to look for, it, it started becoming re- almost like a redundancy. Okay. You know, like I kept running into the same thing. Things are, okay, gotcha. And I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I, I, you will never hear me say that's a ghost. It has to be a ghost, right? right? You'll hear me say. I've done everything I can to try to figure out what that is, and I cannot explain it. So therefore, it's paranormal. Gotcha. Meaning it's just strange. You know, it's unexplainable. So to me, that is, if you see something that you can twist and turn and and shape and form and mold into a thousand different ways, and it doesn't fit into any kind of box, (laughs) and it's unexplained, what else could it be? Right. You know? That's a good point. I never thought of it because it's true. A lot of people think of black and white. Like when it's here paranormal, oh, it's ghost. Have you seen a ghost? Have you seen this? Have you touched one? Have you talked to one? And it's like, it's no, it's the unexplained. It's it's sort of like how when people back in the day say UFOs, it's not aliens. It's unidentified. So we don't know what it is. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an alien, right? But now, have you ever been scared shitless and ran out of a place because something was just so freakish? I've never run out of a place. I've I've been into places and I had the feeling that I should get the fuck out of there. Oh, okay. But I, you know, sometimes 
it's hard to put your finger on it, man. Sometimes I can only imagine. Sometimes there's there are two types of hauntings. There's a residual haunting okay. and an intelligent haunting. An intelligent haunting is more or less something that can give you direct answers, like you can directly interact with Oh, the I see. Okay. And the residual haunting is sometimes things happen that are so much fucked up, that are so screwed up that <laughs> it leaves behind like an energy. Right. You know? Because human emotion is palpable. I mean, if you've ever been in a room with a dying person yeah, in course. the hospital You're or right. whatever, you can feel yeah. that emotion, that heartache in the air. It's true. And sometimes things happen that are so bad that it leaves that kind of energy behind. Oh. And, and that's basically what I'm talking about. So sometimes there was one place that was used as a Civil War hospital and a Civil War morgue. Mm. And the minute I got there, I was like, no, nah, this place isn't good. <laughs> oh, no. I, I'm not the type of person to sit there and poke around. Right. Smart. I've seen a lot of motherfucking movies. When I get well, I was going to say, oh, right? God. It's true. No, this I'm is going, real life. It's just barrier a little further. No. <laughs> barrier can stay exactly where it is. I'm out the door. I don't belong here. See you later. You right. Know? But I, I've never run into that oh. one. I'm investigating like a haunting for someone like a like a personal walkthrough or anything like that right, i've right. never experienced anything like that that's made me run but i've been to places that are reputedly haunted and Shit. some of them are just fucked up man you know again i could only imagine okay so then how did you get into horror like what was your first step into it what was your first job in the horror entertainment world oh man uh wow I'm old as fuck, dude. Like, first the earth cooled and then the dinosaur came, right? That's how I got in. Um, no, it's it's a really interesting story. Uh, most people, they have their defining moment in their life in their 30s and their 40s, maybe even 50s. Sure. I had mine when I was three years old. Oh, wow. And Damn. what happened, and I, I'll always remember it clear as day, um, I was... When I was a little kid growing up in the 70s, like I knew almost like automatically that the good shit that was on TV was on late at night. Right. You know? So yeah. I used to, as soon as I heard my parents sleeping, like whether they were snoring or whatever they were doing, <laughs> right. I, I would make a beeline for the living room. And at that time, we had this giant console TV, like the type of TV that. It was so fucking big. If it broke, you just threw another TV on top of it and fuck it. Now it's furniture, right? Right, yes. So it was this giant black and white TV. <laughs> and it was about two in the morning and I turned it on. Mm. And I saw this newscast about the dead coming back to life. And oh. we had to get to rescue stations. Right. And I was like, holy shit, right? So I went and I, I woke up my parents and they were so pissed off at me. <laughs> mom's like oh you're having a nightmare i'm like no i'm not having a nightmare so i grabbed her by her hand and i took her into the living room and i pointed at the tv and of course what was on was night of the living dead right and i got my first spanking that night you know and as i was laying there uh my ass was throbbing (laughs) and i I was in agony but i realized that i was a hundred percent safe and yet totally terrified. And mm. I just thought that was the coolest trip, man. So right? after that, I just kept looking everywhere to 
absorb these kind of movies to chase that feeling again, you know? Because I, I loved it. It was so exhilarating. It was almost, and the only way I could put it is like the reason why people go on a roller coaster. You want to. Ah, good point. Like, you want to enjoy that controlled chaos. Exactly. Wanna, and still get a rush. Get, yeah, you want to get that rush. You want to get as close to death as you can without actually dying. Right. You know? So after that, I, I just started consuming it. And, you know, I, I grew up in a really dysfunctional family. So I, I grew up basically in front of the TV. And that's where I learned all my lessons, man. I learned right and hey, wrong. Same here. From watching George Romero movies, you know. There you go. And uh, you know, as life went on, I was with this girl at one point, and she used to buy. Back in the romance stage of a relationship, <laughs> your girl will actually buy you things, you know. Right. And vice versa, of course. But uh, she bought me this <laughs> Jurassic Park cage, and essentially, it was just a hunk of cardboard, and you pressed a button, right. and it roared at you. And okay. I pressed that button fucking seven thousand times a day, right? <laughs> so she she bought it for me and the guy who was selling it ended up being down the block from me. So there was no reason to mail it. Right. So he called me one morning and I opened up the door and I, I went to go meet him. And it was Tony Timpone, who was then the then ed- editor of Fangoria magazine, ended up Shit. being my neighbor. Wow. You know, Look at that. and uh, we became fast friends and he realized nice. I knew my shit when it came to the genre. Right. And, uh, he basically gave me a job working at Fangoria for free, but you know, still working at Something. Fangoria. Yeah. Who's, who's happier than I am? Nobody, right? <laughs> so, you know, that's how I got my start. That's when I first took the pen name Uncle Creepy. Right. And, um, you know, I moved on to another company that uh, never got off the ground. It was a thing called the Horror Channel. It was supposed to be like sort of a. Uh, like the sci-fi channel, but for horror fans and oh, okay. that, uh, the emperor there had no pants. So it came time to move hmm. on. But while I was at that site, I created something called dread central, which was supposed to be like the horror channels entertainment tonight, you know, oh, okay. or entertainment news program. And so right. we dread central, it was me and my two partners at the time, three partners at the time, actually. And we opened up the, you know, dreadcentral.com. And I was editor-in-chief of that for 18 years. And along the time, along during that tenure, I met so many cool people and did so many cool things. And I made a lot of really close friends that would come to uh, define who I am. You know, that during that time, I got to first meet George Romero. And tell him that story I just told you. Right. Oh, uh, that's awesome. We became, again, very close. And Sid Haig, too. Sid and George were were both my mentors. So they they taught me a lot. And if you want to talk about, you know, learning from the best, I I can't think of anyone else I, I would have rather learned from. I mean, they taught me how to stand up for myself and more importantly, how to treat people. Oh, that's important. Yeah. And, uh, it's because of them. I was able to exist in the industry for so long and I will always be eternally grateful to both those men because they literally changed my life. I was some idiot that had no idea what he was, what he was doing. And, uh, 
had guidance from the very best. And it was very humbling. I mean, being friends with George and Sid, that's like, um, it's like Bigfoot deeming you cool enough to know that he really exists. <laughs> that's a good analogy. So it was a really, really interesting time in my life. And oh, like wow. all things, it comes to an end. And, you know, I left Dread Central, I don't, I don't know, maybe about six years ago. It's still going on. It's still alive, which is cool because I helped create that. I don't oh, know man. what it's doing now. I haven't been there in forever. But from that, I got to learn how to start producing and you know of course writing and mm -hmm. that's when i left dread central it was the scariest point in my life but i what i didn't know at that point was even though it was the scariest moment of my life it also was the best thing for me because it, it enabled me to push myself mm -hmm. and and try to exist in this space without having that particular masthead behind me i think i've done it right you know no, it's true. And one of your most popular projects, obviously, because it's fresh too. Well, not fresh, but it came out last October. It was Terrifier 2 and just the whole Terrifier experience. That's like, it's instantly became a cult classic, like overnight. Like, it's crazy. Like, did you ever think working or even getting started on this project that it was going to turn into the success it is today? I don't think anyone did. Um, the first Terrifier my company distributed. Okay. Um, it was Dread Central Presents. At that point, Dread Central was an indie company for 16 years that I oh, was sure. doing it. Right, yeah. We had no parent company. Everything we did and achieved, we did so on our own steam. And I've always been, and I will always be very proud of that. But uh, as it happens in the dot-com industry, sometimes the bottom gets pulled out from under you. Sure. And we went from making pretty decent money to making hardly anything. Wow. So at that point, we had two choices. We could either shut down or sell to a company. Mm -hmm. And so Epic Pictures Group came in and they wanted to turn Dread Central, sort of like spin it off into a DVD label oh. for their movies. So okay. I was taxed to watch a lot of movies. Mm. And I watched a ton of them. And truth be told, 99.9 <laughs> of them were terrible. Oh. And uh, oh. then Damien Leone contacted me, and he's like, hey, would you would you take a look at this for me? Mm -hmm. And he, he sent over a terrifier. And I watched it like two or three times in a row, and I knew this was the one, you know? And I called him. I'm like, what are you doing with this? Right. And he's like, well, nothing right now. And I'm like, well, keep doing nothing <laughs> because I want this. This is the movie I want to lead that Dread Central Presents. Right. And it was an unpopular choice internally because everyone was like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's another killer clown movie, blah, blah, blah. And right. I saw something special in it. I, I really did. And thankfully, I was able to convince the powers that be that it was worth their time to do it and pick it up. And the best thing they did for us was put it on Netflix because, yes. you know, with a lot of people to find the movie when they probably wouldn't have been able to. And uh, it went on from there. And uh, after, well, during the, up, up until the release of Terrifier, I was having a lot of problems with the powers that be at that time. Mm. And I knew the writing was on the wall for me to, to leave Dread Central. Mm. And, um, you know, Terrifier came out, and that is very much my swan song mm. from that company. 
you know, and if I can think of a perfect way to go out, it would be helping to bring the world something that they think is super cool. Right. You know, and I am very lucky to have done that. And uh, the thing about Terrifier 2 is there, there's no more talented group of people than there are the people behind these movies. You know, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm lucky to be associated with them, to be honest with you. I mean, Mike Levy, Jason Levy, Phil Falcone, Damien Leone, Olga Turco, all these people that busted their ass every day to make Terrifier 2. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there, it, it's, it was a labor of love. They all did it. You know, they, they were there every day. I didn't come along until way later in the conversation when it came time to try to nail down distribution again, you know. But these people, I mean, there was like nine of them that made this movie. Wow. And they did such an incredible job and it and ended up speaking for itself. And it, it's, you know, I don't think anybody could have predicted what was going to happen when it went into theaters. You know, it was an impossible impossible prediction i mean it had every single reason to not be successful it was two and a half hours it was ultra violent it had right you know all this crazy shit i mean if you were to look at a handbook and, and say to yourself what not to do it pretty much chip ticked every box right i think that you know after I think that after the shitty few years that we all had, you know, where everything just sucked. Right. And then there was the fucking pandemic. And I I think that everybody was ready to just have a good time, you know? I think so. You're right. And Terrifier 2 is a good time. It's a fun movie. You know, its message is the lights are going down, take the ride. That's all (laughs) it's telling you to do. So. And I think after everybody just having everything hammered over their heads for several years in a row, just to be able to watch something and let loose, I think that was a big part of this movie's success. No, and I can't wait to watch part two because unfortunately up here in Canada, it's such a bitch to find. I think the only platform has it right now is iTunes and that's the only way you could actually view it. It's not like it's really hard. Like the first one, like you said, it was on Netflix. I watched it because it was on there. It was around Halloween. Perfect. Loved it. First thing off the bat again, you could tell, like you said, it's, it's a labor of love. Anything that I find a labor of love, like even production quality aside, even though it's still big production quality, in my opinion, you, it comes through so much that you can let everything else suspend. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, you see it in this, in the first one, especially because obviously I can't contend to part two, but as you're saying, part two is just off the wall. So I'm assuming people who enjoyed part one are obviously going to enjoy part two, right? I think so. Yeah. I, I think part two ended up doing something magical in that it, it, it was able to attract more than just the fans of the original. It very much became like an I dare you kind of movie because people, it was legit. They were actually going to the theater and getting sick and throwing up. Really? You didn't think that was going to happen by any stretch of the imagination, but it actually happened. And we found out about it the same way everyone else did, just by (laughs) watching social media and seeing what people were saying. Yeah, yeah. Shit. And, um... 
you know, it, it was, it was, it was one of those lightning in a bottle moments. And I'm, I'm really lucky to, to say I'm associated with those cats and I'm lucky they let me, they, they kept me in their playground and I, I can fuck around in it and hopefully I'll continue to fuck around with it when part three comes out. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Okay. Now, uh, like you said it, it's like people right off the bat will be, Oh, it's another clown movie, whatever. But again, what is it about a good horror clown movie? Like, like it has to be like, obviously, the I guess in this case, I don't know if he's still the antagonist, but you have Art the Clown, right? You have like that central figure. Is a good, okay, because there's been some shitty ones where they try to have like killer clowns and this and that, but it's not like one central person and it doesn't revolve around them. Like, you know, they're just like fodder, so, so, so to speak. Do you think that you need that main good character to hold a good clown horror movie? Or can you have him like as a background? I don't think it really matters so much that he's a clown. I think it just happens to be that that's just what oh. that character needs to be. I, okay. I think that what really sets art apart from the usual horror movie slashers, and, and I say this with all due respect, I am in no way comparing or saying that one is any better than the other. Sure. But what, what, what art does that's a little bit different is there's a humanity to him. Like mm. you'll see two things. You could tell when he's angry, you could tell when he's having fun oh. and you see him do things like in terrifier too, not to spoil it for you, but you know, no, go for it. break into a house and he'll get a glass of water or he'll <laughs> go to the laundromat and do his laundry. Oh, you know, it, it, it's just, there's a humanity about him. Right. that's so relatable. And there's also the fact that for horror fans, especially, you know, a lot of times when you look at the Jasons and the Michael Myers of the world, you know, they kill their victims and they move on. I was just going to bring that up. Yep. Art plays with his food. When Art kills somebody, it's like an event, you know, and it, it, yep. the kills go on for a, a little bit longer, maybe a lot a bit longer than they usually would have in a horror movie. And um, I, I think that's what people are responding to, just the savagery of what he's doing, but he does so with this smile on his face that you can't help just kind of not be, not root for him, but you're right. like, well, you know, you, 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 art is weird. Art is like the killer you want to go hang out with after he's done everything he's done, but you don't know that he's a murderous beast. Even right. for something like, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's a really interesting thing. But again, you know, these movies don't a special shout out to Phil Falcone, uh, Damien's production partner. These movies don't exist without him. And I think he's probably the most vital part of the tool, but everyone's vital. You know, Jason Levy, Michael Levy, Steve DeLaSalle, George Stuber, the DP, the movie looks phenomenal. And that's all mm. him. And of course, Damien nice. and David, you know, we'll talk about a killer pairing. Mm. Those two are, they're magic when they work together and they, they brought in, you know, actresses like Lauren Levera, who could really elevate the final girl aspect of the movie. And it, it's just, 
it's a movie that's firing on all cylinders, and I can't wait for you to see it. No, and I can't wait either. And I'm glad you brought up the whole point, like you said, with the Jasons and the Michael Myers of this world, where they just kill and move on. Because to me, I see a lot of parallels from with art with Freddy Krueger, who is my personal favorite of all time. Mm-hmm. Because again, the personality, like you said, he plays with his food. He 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 does stuff like you know he was an actual person before he he went into the nightmare world. Like you know what I mean? And it, like all these stuff that sort of humanize the killer uh, yeah it's like you want to hang out with them like who didn't want to hang out with freddie in the 90s this guy was hilarious right and i i think it's that same i, I think that's a that's a fair juxtaposition i i think that of all the famous horror movie slashers i think maybe art has more in common with freddie than say he would jason or michael but you know they're all awesome they're they're the reason iconic characters like that are the reason we all started loving the genre to begin with so god bless them i, I want more friday the 13th more elm streets more right? Halloweens. i don't want them to go away i don't want them to end i, I want to stay on the ride and enjoy myself thank you i totally agree and speaking of nightmare on elm street you were part of the documentary never sleep again the elm street legacy how did all this? Because again, when I saw this in your credits, that's it. I was, because everyone knows I love Freddy Krueger to death. Everything about it, the not so much the remake that came out, but we'll get into all that. The original Fantastic Freddy vs Jason, I think, is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. So, how did this project fall into your lap, so to speak, or how did you get to work on it? Um. Well, I met the director on a different project, something called His Name Was Jason. Oh, okay was a, a documentary about, you know, Friday the 13th fandom. And at that time, Daniel Farrens was co-director and he was working on it with another dude. I forget his name. But anyway, I was one of the interviewees and he, Dan and I, we just became fast friends. You know, again, it was just one of those right place, right time things. And again, when you, you know, you, you recognize an authenticity in people Mm. and it's very apparent that Dan has such a high reverence for these subjects as do I. So, you know, it's almost like we smell our own, right? (laughs) We we start start to gravitate toward one another and being, when he was ready to do Nightmare on Elm Street, a documentary about that, his co-director, Andrew Cash, you know, Andrew worked for me at Dread Central. Oh, okay. And so it became, and then Buzz Wallach, who also filmed a lot of Never Sleep Again, also worked for me at Dread Central. So it was kind of mm. like we kept it in the family. And uh. that was my first producing gig that was proper. Mm. And, and that was, a again, Dan and, and Andrew damn near killed themselves on that project huh. to get it done. I, I, it's weird. I have this... This like you had two Uncle Creepies on your show. I, yeah. I had, I have a penchant for working on really long movies for some reason. Oh. Uh, never sleep again was four hours, and we never thought Shit. anybody would ever sit and watch that whole thing straight through. That's why it was filmed the way that it was and broken up into chapters. Oh, okay. Now we're about the first one. Here's forty-five minutes about the second sure. one. Sure. Okay. So, it was broken down, and once we realized how long it was going to be, mm-hmm. vision was made to break it down into chapters, like so you could watch. Here's your bit on the original. Here's your bit on part four, or whatever. Right. But people sat 
and they watched every damn second of it, and it was incredible. One of the funniest awesome. things about that was, um, unfortunately, when a movie's about to come out, as soon as it comes out, it's pirated to shit. Oh, I know, right? That's ain't that the truth? Instantaneously, and yeah. one of the things that was very known about Never Sleep Again was its runtime. It was going to be around four hours. Right. So what Andrew did was he <laughs> he oh, no. took his camera and he pointed it at his cat's litter box for four hours. Shut up! And he uploaded that to the pirate sites himself. That's awesome. Never Sleep Again. And back then, you know, it would take you like three days to download a, a four-hour right. file. Right? Yep. So yep. They were going to pirate it. They were going to work for it. <laughs> That's you know? awesome. Uh, yeah, it was pretty funny, man. It oh, was, uh, that was a golden moment. I, I'm very lucky <laughs> to be associated with some of the projects I've been associated with. And I have a pretty good track record, you know. Um, I, I think when people work with me, they... They realize I'm a what you see is what you get kind of guy. Right. I don't I don't bullshit people. I tell them what I think, much to sometimes my detriment. Sure. But you know, I, I would rather be honest with someone than anything else. I, I think that's the most important thing. No, I don't blame you. So okay, this too, I haven't had a chance to go look back at it because, like you said, I saw it was for. But the the ratings and the reviews phenomenal, my friend. Like I don't think it's lower than like an eight star or anyone saying bad things about it, right? So did yeah. you get to work and interview and talk with like the cast members, Wes Craven, like everyone from the original and the remakes? I got to meet a lot of them. Oh, okay. Uh, Andrew and and Dan did pretty much all the interviews that we had satellite companies because that was a project that um that was a project that was filmed over several states and i think it was two oh. or three countries oh shit okay and so we had satellite interviewers go out and go to you know get screaming mad george and people <laughs> it was that was as big of a fucking project as you can imagine and a lot of credit goes to the editor tommy hudson mm. um I think the reason why that documentary did so well, or at least part of the reason, was number one, it left no stone unturned. You know, if you want to know anything about the Elm Street movies, it's in there. There's no reason to make another one, you know? And uh, what he did with all these hours and hours and hours of, of interviews was he ended up finding a narrative. And you watch... Uh, never sleep again and even though its primary focus is the Nightmare on Elm Street movies it really tells the story of both the rise and the fall of New Line Studios and that oh. was the narrative okay. that Tommy was able to, to find in it through cutting all the interviews together and that that's like an amazing thing Oh, that, that's true. And speaking of New Line Cinema, I totally forgot. It's so true. The amount and good quality of horror movies that came out of that studio like people just think of Nightmare on but yeah, you go down their catalog and it's so like all those studios from that era. Like, I, I, I there's another one, I don't know if you're familiar with it, even though it's not horror. The studio that put out Robocop, they did, oh, is it Orion? It's Orion, Orion, that's it. That studio was another great one for like those type of like, you know what I mean? All these forgotten studios of the past, like the intro, you know, where everything came and from, grew, you know, yeah, it, it, oh. there was a certain. Love it. There was a certain brand to studios back then. Right? Now. now everything is like cookie cutter, the same shit, right? Unfortunately. Well, everything is everything is cyclical, man. I mean, what well, goes yeah. around 
Brown. You know, right now, slasher movies are hot. That's uh, true. Years ago, it was zombie movies that were hot. Right. You know? So it's going to be... The, 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 the genre always turns around and keeps spinning, and what ends up being old ends up being new again. So it's really interesting to see where it's going to go from there. But... um. Yeah, man, it's it's we're we're actually I think in one of the golden ages of horror. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, there are so many good TV shows. Well, that yes, shows. that I agree. Yeah, and you know, now that Terrifier two, Knock Wood, was successful, and it was a brutally violent fucking movie, <laughs> um, it, it it opened the door for people to say, you know, hey, let's take more chances. Let's put right. this type content in theaters let's that's why you'll see movies and it, it even if it wasn't terrifier too and it was some other movie that opened that door i'd be just as happy you know but um there, there i i think that the studio system right now and especially the movie theater system right now they're hungry for content mm. and they're willing to look at more different avenues of distribution you know, and you see movies like Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, and Skin of Rink mm. that never would have had a chance of getting distribution. True. But being that, you know, the door is open now, you know, a lot of theaters are taking chances, and that's the best thing. And I'm so proud mm-hmm. of that, and I'm as a fan, I'm just thrilled about that. You know, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I hear... The new Evil Dead is violent as all hell. I heard, yeah, I heard some very good I stuff about it too. Wait to go see just what they do. You know, it's a uh, true. I like that we don't have to worry about things being so neutered. Right. Now. That's a good point. Yes, that that I will agree with for sure. Well, how, okay. How about this again? Being a huge horror buff, do you appreciate remakes, reboots, or would you like sort of like a legacy continuation, sort of like what Scream has been doing? Um. You know what? There's a place for remakes, I, I think. Oh, okay. I, I think that if done right, there's been some really good remakes. I mean, look at The Fly. Look at John Carpenter's The Thing. Look at even the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake was of merit. You know? I, I agree, yes. And, you know, if you... The Dawn of the Dead remake was... Actually, yes. Movie. You're right. And that, that is one. a movie that, you know, people considered absolutely sacred. But if you're... Remaking a movie, I think the key is to give people more of what they liked about the original and just try to put your own stamp on it. Oh, you know, okay. Dawn of the Dead works because Zack Snyder gave people more Dawn of the Dead. Mm. The thing worked because John Carpenter took it into a crazy fucking direction. Uh, the Fly worked for that very same reason. So, there, I mean, if you look at I mean, remakes are nothing new, dude. How many? It's true. How many? How many versions of Frankenstein are there? Oh my how god! Yeah, Dracula. Dracula. Speak yeah. of now. That's like two or three so, movies just came out about Dracula. Yeah. So I mean, listen. <laughs> there's more on the way. So that's crazy. I, I think that sometimes people get if you're not, and it happens, and there have been some blatant cash in movies. Right. Of course. And, you know, I am not a fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I, I think it's horrible. Okay. Um, I do think that the casting is a big part of that. I think Jackie Earl Haley was fine. Uh, I think that, you know, 
it, that that's a that was a really weird. I was on set for that production, and oh. like the feeling on set, right, was like nobody gave a shit. Really? Except, oh, what a shame! You know, and you know, well, most of the people cared. The director clearly didn't. Right. He didn't give a fuck. He was oh. like, "I'm making this movie to get into feature films," and I'm like, "Okay." Uh, good luck with that. Right. But, um. Again, I I think that when it comes to horror movies, horror fans are smart enough to know when something is not a cashing, and when something is made with its heart in the right place. You know. I agree. Again, there there's it's all about authenticity, man. If you bring authenticity to a project, whether it be a remake or a reboot or a requel or whatever the fuck you want to call <laughs> right. it. Right, yeah, exactly. I think that fans will recognize it, you know, as long as there is that that form of authenticity to it and that it has to be in the right spirit. I, I don't have I an so. issue with remakes. I have an issue with bad remakes. Makes sense. You know, I also have an issue with movies that should be remade that haven't been. Oh. You know, like... Like, if a movie came out and it was terrible, why not give it another a shot? A little more time in the oven, you know That's what I mean? That's a good point. You make a bad movie and make it good, that would be great. But unfortunately, you know, that'll probably never happen. Because you have... Hollywood's a replication machine. Yeah. It's what they know works. And, uh, you know, they're probably not going to take a chance on a little project of a movie of a remake of a movie that wasn't very successful but that's something i'd like to see no it's true and the other thing i thought was going to be a big cash grab i mentioned it was jason versus freddy like at first so skeptical i'm like oh fuck they're gonna screw this up who like everyone's thought is who's gonna win which side's gonna prevail whatever then it comes out oh my god like i said to me it's it's almost a masterpiece it's fantastic it appeases both sides it leaves you with more, and I'm so pissed off that there was not a sequel to this, because obviously because of the ending, when Freddy winks as Jason walks away with his head, like, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, I just wish I had more of these sort of crossovers. And obviously we all know studios don't want to whatever intermingle, but in a perfect world, wouldn't it be nice for like to have one of these, like, WrestleMania-esque type events where all the horror villains come to be and just fuck each other up? <laughs> I would settle for a video game, to be honest with you. Oh, that's a good one. I never thought of that, right? Because that could actually be plausible. They could actually pull that there, off. It is like a, I think it's called Terradome or something, where it's like it takes a lot of the, it's an unofficial game. Okay. Only on PC, but it takes like Pinhead and Michael Myers and Freddy and Jason. Okay. Yeah. It's like a Street Fighter kind of game. But I, I would love to see like a real balls to the wall horror fighting game. You know, that's that's why I make the, the crazy ass fucking wrestlers I do in WWE 2K23. Oh, shit. I want to fight with Art the Clown. I want to <laughs> fight with Captain Spaulding. I want to fight <laughs> with and Ghostface and, and right. Jason, you know. So to me, that that's why I, I'm hoping one day we'll get something like that. No, it's and I really hope so. So well, now, speaking of crossovers, a perfect world. Who would you want Art to cross over with? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, it would have to be a more modern slasher, I think. Okay. I, I, I think the only one right now that's doing what Art is doing is maybe Victor Crowley from the Hatchet series. Oh, you know? okay, yeah, yeah. 
he is on par with the type of violence that art creates. Mm. I don't know. And I mean, anything could happen. You know, we, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, so we just keep our head down and hope for the best, I guess. Now, please don't tell me there's still some ignorant people out there. When you bring up Terrifier and you try to explain it's like a clown, do they still say, it? oh, it's like it? I mean, you can't blame them, you know, of course. Yeah, but just look at the clowns and just I like... Know. It, it, well, Damien was very conscious, conscious to make art as different from like a Pennywise as possible. Of course. Those, those characters are more colorful. Art's like black and white. Right. And he's a, I gotta say it, I mean, no knock on Pennywise. And I, I love Stephen King's It, but art's a little bit meaner. That I think a penny Pennywise might be a little scarier, but I think art's just flat out meaner. You know. Well, I don't know. There's something because what makes art me like if I was a child and I saw art, what would piss my pants would be that fucking long ass crooked nose that looks like an old witch's nose, and his teeth. Like just like there's something about like black oozing teeth that just freaks me out, man. That's all, Damien. Man, Damien is a genius. Truly, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't throw that term around lightly. Um, I, I think a big reason for those movie successes, one, the characters are really cool. Uh, two, Damien is a tremendous effects artist. And three, everyone associated, associated with the production cares about it and cares about each other. So, you know, you have that magic. And I, I, I would love to see that type of magic carry on. Um, for every movie, I, I wish everybody had the opportunity to get a chance to work with a small crew and let them build that camaraderie and mm. forge a universe together. It's a really, it's, Terrifier is very organic in its nature, and I, and I think that's part of the reason why it's so successful. I mean, those guys created something amazing. No, and it, of course, most definitely, and everyone should be checking it out if you haven't so already. Okay, now, being the horror historian that you are, can you put this to rest? Who would win in a fight of all these horror villains? Because you have the knowledge in the background of all, like, people say Freddy because he's... Who's in the fight, man? Sorry? Who's in the fight? Okay, let's do, okay, how about this? Let's do my personal, like, top five then. Okay, I'll throw in Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, Leatherface, and Pinhead. I think the clear winner is either going to be Freddy or Pinhead. Really? Why? Because yeah. they're in an alternate universe, so to speak? Yeah, they don't have to play by natural. Oh. You know? So while Jason don't, Jason and Michael aren't exactly natural people either, there's something very supernatural about them as well. But I, I, I think Freddy, Freddy has to rely on them to fall asleep. That's true. Well, that, that could be an issue, but Pinhead could come out whenever he wants and just shoot fucking chains from a distance, <laughs> right. you know? So, I don't know. I think my money's on Pinhead. Oh, actually, that's a good shout-out, because believe it or not, he was my introduction into horror movies. Like, my brother rented Hellraiser, and for some, I, again, I saw the cover, I'm like, what the hell is it? it? just blew my mind. I was like, I don't know, maybe four or five, like one of my earliest memories of watching TV. Pop it in, start watching it, and I guess my brother stopped it halfway or didn't rewind, whatever. It was at the scene where he was still just flesh and his wife was bringing up the people and it, she just knocked someone in the head and then he starts like eating and then you see the, I was 
and I was like, oh my God. But like you, I was like, oh my God, I want more after. And then it just snowballed from there. But I think Pinhead is one of those underrated of all these villains that people don't really talk about. And I like, I don't understand why. Like it has everything, the smarts, like different universe, like, you know, the gore. Like I, I don't, unless it's too gory for its time. Uh, maybe, maybe for its time it was. There's a, there's a, there's a perversity to the Hellraiser movies. There's True. a lot of, there's a lot of sex and innuendo. That maybe that too, yeah. Movies. And I, I, I think that at the time when it came out, people weren't prepared for that. Mm. And I, I, I still don't think they are. I mean, if you, I got last Hellraiser movie on on Hulu was okay, but. Okay. There was none of the perversity of it. Really? You know? Okay. Yeah, it Shit. It was decent. It just didn't feel like a Hellraiser movie like it should to me. And then they made those two without Doug Bradley. And mm. one of them was okay. One of them was absolutely shit. Oh, that's and, um, I mean, I, I, a great deal with it has to do with who's playing Pinhead. You know? Doug had that iconic look and that iconic voice. And you know, you have a classically trained actor right. doing this part. Sorry, my bird must be a fan of Pinhead. <laughs> touchy subject. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> there was hilarious. a lot of things that contributed to Hellraiser's success, and I think above and beyond anything was to get someone like Doug, who is a classically trained actor, to portray your big bad. I mean, he brought so much dimension to that role. So I, I would say that. I would love to see more Hellraiser movies, but more in the vein of the original. Like, maybe the first two are my favorites. Well, yeah, me too. Like, part one was the way it was, because Pinhead wasn't really featured that much in part one. Like, you know what I mean? And then part two, it just opened up, and you saw all the different cast of characters. Like, what makes me blow my mind sometimes is when people like yourself and people in the horror genre making movie business, it's like, how do you come up with these characters that don't look nothing humanoid? You add this, you add that, but it freaks people. Like, like how does someone come up with that in your brain? I mean, it, it's, it's like anything else, man. Your imagination, it starts cooking. And, you know, there, there's, nothing more, there's nothing more terrifying than what someone can imagine. You know, you're you're more afraid of what you can't see than you are of what you can. Oh. So once that familiarity comes into place, characters like Freddy and Pinhead they kind of lose their mystique mm. because you're so familiar with them. Right. But I think it's those those original ideas that no one's had before that makes it really successful and makes it really I don't know that really gets its teeth into a, into a, a person. And lets their imagination really go. That's my favorite, man. No, no, of course. And those, again, what I found was my favorite type of horror movies were the ones that were just completely out there, like balls to the wall, like just everything. Like it blew my mind when I first saw, no pun intended, saw. But when part two came out and they had the whole house versus just one room. Oh my God. And then obviously the series exploded. And that's the only sort of psychological I guess horror I like, but it's, it's still gory. So like, but there's a game element to it, which I love about horror movies too. Like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people put escape room down. I actually did not mind the two escape room movies. They weren't bad. It's fun. It's fun. And right? I, I, I go in, my whole thing is entertain me. Thank you. I'm entertained. 
I'm not looking for anything beyond that. (laughs) You know, just show me a good, like the Pope's exorcist that I just saw that like last week. Okay. I had such a good fucking time watching that movie. Nice. It's a great movie. Depends on your (laughs) definition of great, but, um, it was fun and it entertained me and, and therefore I liked it. You know, I, I think, I think a lot of times people forget that their main job with making a movie is just make a good movie. Mm. You know? Right. Like, don't worry so much about, oh, you have to do this to appeal to this audience or that to appeal to that audience. If the movie's good, it's going to find its audience. I agree. So just your job as a filmmaker is to make the best movie that you can. Mm -hmm. And when, unfortunately, a lot of filmmakers, especially in the Hollywood system, they don't get to do that because there's a lot of suits that get involved and it becomes too many cooks in the kitchen and it it just you know it it becomes a nightmare but i I think the indie scene right now that's free of those type of constraints i think that's where all the really good stuff is coming right now and uh it's getting into theaters so god bless we did something right right exactly and again everyone should go watch okay how about this plug whatever you want to promote where you they could find the movie your socials floor is all yours my friend uh, you can find me on Twitter at Uncle Creepy, on Instagram at Uncle Creepy SB, on Facebook. You know, uh, there's a lot of things coming for me in the future. Unfortunately, I can't talk about any of them, but I'm staying busy. And uh, there's a lot of really good stuff to come, so stay tuned. That's awesome. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast dap. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast dap at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, most definitely helps me out. And please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. And yes, please follow this man's Instagram. You have such a unique Instagram. Like you, you post the most adorable pet videos, and then you go right into like the goriest shit I've ever seen. It, it's I, such like you know what I, I mean. <laughs> I love it though because I, I'm again a huge. I, I love dogs. I love cats. Like you know what I mean. So to watch like and or obviously horror. So to watch that eclecticness, oh, it's fantastic. So yes, please follow Steve. I'm a big fan of people falling down and cute animals. <laughs> You know what? Isn't it something about humans falling down that just makes you crack up? Like, you know what I mean? It's it's I weird. When I fall down, you know, it's just it's ridiculous. I don't know. It's just funny to me. As long as nobody's really hurt, right? You know, good fun. No, of course. Okay, one last question before I let you go, my friend. Sure. Dream franchise or person you've never worked with that you still want to work with before you hang it up. Um, I want to work with Sam Raimi. Oh, okay. You know, I I think that I've been very lucky to work with George Romero, to work with Sid Haig, to work with and befriend almost every person working in the horror genre. But professionally for me, I I would love a chance to work with Sam Raimi and just really dig into his world and, and find out what he's about. Cause he's just, he's got such a tremendous eye for the camera and his, you know, his work speaks for itself. So before I hang it up, I, I, I wouldn't mind hanging my hat in Sam Raimi's backyard for a little while, at least once. 
<laughs> That's a great pick, my friend. On that note, he's Steve. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.